All right, that was an excellent song. Oh, my. I'm just thinking the gift of grace and what God's done for us uh, through our lives and what God has done. Is, is, is this all hooked up right? Am I sounding okay? Is there, okay, good. I, knowing me, I, I inevitably put it too high, too low, and I always have to go back and co- have Craig coach me. Is it up, down, left, right? Where do I put this thing? So I think I finally figured it out. But uh, um, just I remember talking with the youth group not too long ago uh, about salvation and what that uh, what takes place at the moment of salvation, what salvation is uh, to us, and how God provided it. And and oftentimes we just uh, we look at salvation as a ticket we punch and, and then we're done. And 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 God has no more plans for us. And and so much. Uh, could that be farther from the truth? Uh, salvation is the start of a great journey in your life, and, and there's going to be hardships, there's going to be trials, there's going to be uh, things that come in your life that push your, that will test your faith, that will test your, uh, your commitment to God, and, and sometimes, um, sometimes can bring you to your knees and say, God, what are you doing? How are you, how are you working in my heart? How are you working in my life? What can I draw from this? And and sometimes God brings hardships and trials into our lives, not, not because he's trying to teach us something, but he's trying to teach somebody else something. Um, I mean, we can, we can go through the Bible and point out, but my favorite passage is when Jesus and, and the uh, disciples are walking along and they see a blind man and, and one of them poses the question, uh, Lord, who did sin, this man or his parents that he should be born blind? And Jesus would respond, it's neither. This man was born blind so that ye could, that your faith could be increased. And I remember reading that passage, and I've preached on that before. And, and just, I, could you imagine being the blind man in that situation and hearing that? Like, you're telling me I was born blind so that you could teach them a lesson? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> How is this fair? But the, that, that trial was put on that man so that others could learn more about God. And God brings oftentimes hardships into our lives, and those things don't slow down when we get saved. Um, I remember uh, we were for men's prayer breakfast yesterday, and uh, uh, there was, um, I believe it was uh, Brother Russ, was talking about how he, was, he had the chance to talk with some of, one of his coworkers. And, but the coworker had made a, a, a statement that, the Christians that he saw, that, that their lives seem generally happier and easier. And it's not so much that our lives are easier. We deal with hardships. We deal with struggles. We deal with it all. But when, it, when it's all said and done, we have a God that says that we're to rejoice all way. That we can, we can bring our, our trials and our hardships and our burdens and we can bring them to the throne of grace and we can lay them down at his feet and we can be happy. And we can lay those things down. We can walk away and say, oh, that, that weight is off my shoulders. God's got it. God's, God's going to take care of it. And uh, that was an excellent song. All, all that to say, excellent song. I am so thankful for God's grace because uh, I know I've been, I've been a, uh, a recipient of God's grace uh, more times than I want to count. But uh, uh, what I want to talk about today is, and this is another excellent picture of salvation in my opinion, uh, we're going to be in the book of Joshua tonight. The book of Joshua and Joshua chapter 3 is where we're going to pick up. We're going to be talking about one of my uh, favorite Bible characters uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, I am a big fan of Joshua, um, a man who learned to lead by being a servant to the leader. Uh, He learned all of his leadership under the hand of Moses, 
But when Moses needed something, oftentimes you wouldn't read too much further and find Joshua there. Joshua uh, was a man who loved to serve the man of God that was put into place. And we're going to be reading about Joshua tonight. But before I get any further into this, I'm going to ask God's blessing over the message and, uh, and that he uh, helps keep my rabbit trails to a minimum <laughs> and that we stay on track tonight. So let's pray. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We praise you again for the opportunity to be here. I thank you so much for just uh, how you've laid this on my heart and how you've brought me to this passage. And Lord, I pray that the, the things that you've been speaking to my heart about, Lord, that those things would come across, Lord, but that you would speak through me, uh, that, you would hide my, uh, that you would hide me behind this pulpit, Lord, and that your word would come forth, and Lord, that you would use it to speak to and not just my heart, but those that are here, that we can be a blessing and encouragement uh, to uh, each other as a church family, Lord, to our community, to our pastor, uh, to those all around us. We love you. We praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we get jumping into the, the text, uh, we're going to start with a brief description on what's happened up to this point. So the nation of Israel uh, is now standing at uh, just about to go into the promised land. Uh, something that was promised to them a long time ago uh, to their father Abraham. And then, and then we see they eventually would go down into Egypt where they would become slaves. And then God would send a deliverer. He sent Moses. And Moses would, would preach and he would uh, defy uh, who would be looked at as one of the most powerful men in the world at the time. A man that was revered, uh, revered as, by his people as a god. He would defy Pharaoh and he would de- uh, proclaim, let my people go. And Pharaoh would make him several offers saying, you can take your people out a little ways and you can pray and you can, and you can, and you can worship your God, but then you need to come back because you're going to leave your little ones in Egypt. And he said, that's not good enough. And Pharaoh would later come back with another offer saying, you can take everybody, but you've got you to leave your stuff and you'll eventually have to come back. And Moses said, nope, we're going to go. All of us are going to go and we're not coming back. And eventually uh, Pharaoh, through the, through the power of God, would, would yield to God and let the people go. And you'd think, okay, awesome. This is going to be easy for the children of Israel. Now they're going to march on up to the promised land and things are going to be uh, hunky-dory and everything's going to be great. And it doesn't work that way. Oftentimes, like our lives, don't work that way. We, we, we work and we struggle and we strive and we, we go through all these hardships and we think, finally, this will be, if I can just get over this trial, if I can just get over this problem, my life will be smooth and it'll be easy. And oftentimes that's not the case, is it? And so uh, they left Egypt and they think it's going to be easy. And then they get out in the wilderness and they get thirsty and they get hungry and they they run out of food and they realize that uh, life... And then many times they look back and say, oh, life was so wonderful in Egypt. We would sit all... I I like the way they think back on it. We would sit all day by the flesh pots and we would eat leeks and garlics and onions and it was so amazing and... Uh, Has anybody ever seen the old VeggieTales movie, Josh and the Big Wall? Yeah, I love that. When they start reflecting on that, and then Paw Grape's like, or not Paw Grape, the, the cousin, he's like, we were in slavery. What are you talking about? Paw Grape's like, nothing's perfect. You know, uh, They start reflecting on how wonderful their lives in Egypt would be because they were, they were at least, they weren't hungry. And God would send them uh, manna to eat. And the Bible says that they did eat angels' food. And yet, eventually, and it would taste uh, like uh, milk and wafers, or uh, honey and wafers. 
tastes just amazing by the sound of it. And eventually they got tired of that and said, no, God, we want meat. We want animals to eat. And God would, God would give it to them. And then in their hearts, they're like, yeah, we deserve this. They would murmur and they would complain. Uh, there would be uprisings by Korah and Miriam. Uh, Moses' own sister eventually at one point would, would try to stand up and say, you know, why is God just talking through you? Can't he use me just as much? And God would pass judgment on Miriam. And many times the people would rise up and talk against God. And we see a pattern. And, and I remember growing up in Sunday school and thinking, good night. What is wrong with these people? Like, every, God does something amazing. It's like, oh, was, okay, thanks, God. You know, now I'm going to go complain about my next problem so I got, you can fix that. Uh, God, God does not treat our, we shouldn't have a squeaky wheel Christianity. Uh, the squeaky wheel gets oiled. We're just walking along life and something breaks. And it's like, oh, God, I got a problem here. Fix it for me. Shouldn't have that approach to Christianity. And yet, oftentimes, much like the children of Israel, we find ourselves there. Uh, but failures that they hit along the way, the, the murmuring, the complaining, the uprisings, uh, failure to possess the land, they, they make it to the promised land. They're, they're standing inside of it. They're standing on the mountains. They're overlooking the land of Canaan. And then Moses, has this, Moses says, we're going to send out some men to, to spy it all out and get us a good picture of what we're looking at, which was not a bad idea. And, and mind you, Joshua is being one of, those, one of these 12 men that went to spy out Canaan, the land of Canaan, the promised land, the, the land that God had promised them. Who, by the way, Moses, time and time again, would have to not argue with God, but plead the case to God why he should not just uh, destroy the land of his, the, 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 the people and start over again. On, on two separate occasions, God said that he would just wipe them all out and he'd start over with Moses. Okay? And he, he begged and he pleaded with God, and he, not, not that God was changing his mind, but he, he made an advocate of himself to, to pray for them and to, to be their advocate, picturing what Jesus Christ does for us at the right hand of God. And then uh, the 12 spies come back, and 10 of them give a false report. Not a false report, but a bad one. But the thing that they said was false is they be too mighty for us. The, the people in the land of Canaan, they're too mighty for us. We can't win this battle. There's nothing we can do. And I told the children in, 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 in uh, children's church this morning, I said, a partial truth is an entire lie. If you conceal part of the truth to convince somebody your side, you're telling a whole lie. What they said was partially true. The land of Canaan was far too mighty for them alone, but they had God on their side. And so they should have said, you know, they're big, they're strong, but we got God, so let's go. And which Joshua and Caleb did say. He said, no, Joshua and Caleb would say, no, they're scared of us. They're terrified of us. God has given us an opportunity. We need to go in. We need to seize the land because God said we need to. And they would turn again. They would say, nope. And God would say, okay, you're going to wander the desert till everybody over the age of 20 is going to die. I'm going to start over. Not... Not with, not with you hard-necked and stiff-necked, horrible people. Uh, paraphrasing, God didn't actually say that. He's much more merciful than I would be in those situations. But, uh, but he says, I'm, I'm going to let the next generation go in. And, the, 
and they, and they sped that up a little bit because they said, oh, no, 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 God, we, we changed our minds. We're going to go in and fight anyways. And they would, they would try an invasion into the promised land, and, which would be an utter failure, and many, many Israelites would die. And then they would wander the wilderness for 40 years. Now, could you imagine being one of the younger kids? Like, you're in the younger generation. You were under the age of 20, and you're just looking around like, would you, would you just kind of, like, kick the bucket already so we can go in? <laughs> I mean, you're just, if you're one of the younger kids, you know it's like, as soon as so-and-so, is, he's the last one. Come on, pal. <laughs> I'd hate to be the last one holding on and be like, I don't, I, I don't want to go early, but, I mean... And then Moses eventually would pass on. And after the death of Moses, starting in Joshua in chapter 1, it would say after the death of Moses, uh, the servant of the Lord came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give unto them, even to the children of Israel. So Moses finally passes off the scene, and Joshua is now in charge. Joshua, who again is one of my favorite, favorite characters in the Old Testament. And Joshua had a lot to take care of. In the first several chapters of of the book of Joshua, we see him uh, preparing his his own heart, mourning for the the loss of Moses. He helps the people to mourn, and then and then he immediately starts to prepare and he tells the people that they need to sanctify themselves, that they need to prepare their hearts, that they need to get ready for what God is going to do. And he lays it out. We're, we're going to go into the land of Canaan. We're, we're going to go fight the fight that God's laid before us. And he starts preparing them. And we start picking up in Joshua chapter 3. And we're going to start, oh, we'll start right at the beginning. And Joshua rose up early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. What are they going to pass over? Uh, Before they can go into the land of Canaan, there's one major obstacle in the way. Teenagers, can you help me out? What is it? What was that? No, the wall of Jericho? You're getting ahead of the story. (laughs) They got to cross the Jordan River first. And uh, later on, we'd read that this is the time of harvest, that the River Jordan would be overflowing all of its banks. The Jordan River is a massive river. And the nation of Israel is not a small group of people. You can't just load them up in a little raft and go across the river. They've got a big feat, a big, huge task ahead of them. And it would be one of the biggest obstacles that they would have to face uh, before they could actually start Uh, their conquest into the land of Canaan. And if we read through the first couple verses, we would see that Joshua starts laying out the plan. He says, you're going to be, I want everybody in the morning, you're going to be waking up, you're going to wake up, you're going to prepare yourselves, you're going to pack, you're going to make sure everything's ready to go, and you're going to wait. You're just going to wait. And then finally, the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, they're going to come marching by. And when they go by, you can start following them. He gives them, he starts telling them about how far off they need to follow and what they need to do and everything that's going to go into that. And he's meticulous in the details. And he makes he takes the, the time to pick out 12 representatives, one from each tribe of Israel. 
And he says, you're going to bring everything with you. And, and there, there's a meticulous plan here. We're going to pick up on what this plan is going to involve in verse, let's see, verse 14. Verse 14. And it came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant uh, before the people, and as they bear the ark were come unto Jordan, the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped into the brim of the water, for the Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest. That the waters which come down from above stood and rose up upon an heap very far from the city, Adam, that is beside Zaratan, and those that came down toward the sea... Uh, from the plain even to the salt sea, failed, and they were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, and all Israel passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. Before they had made this uh, journey across the river and God had given them special instructions and God was preparing. Uh, Joshua was already getting ready. He had, he had sent his two spies into Jericho to spy out the land and they had learned that the Canaanites were, were scared of the nation of Israel. Uh, the nation of Israel, mind you, during these 40 years, they weren't just relaxing and just wandering the desert. They were fighting wars and they were fighting battles and God was delivering them and God was providing for them and meeting their needs. God was taking care of them despite the fact that he was kind of doing a fresh restart with a new generation. And they had, con they had conquered land on the other side of the, of the Jordan River, and many of the, many of the Canaanites were, they were drawn at ease, saying, okay, they, they must be taking it easy because they've gone and they've camped on the other side of Jordan. If they were going to invade, this would be a poor spot because they'd have to get all their stuff across the river. <clears throat> this would be a poor spot. But God had specifically chosen the Jordan River for a crossing place because he wanted to send a message, not just to the land of Canaan, but to the children of Israel. <clears throat> Pardon me for a second. Isn't preacher have, have everybody say amen when he takes a drink of water? Isn't that how it goes? I forgot. But uh, he chose that place for a specific reason, because the land of Canaan was terrified of the Israelites terrified of, of the power that God had uh, exhibited all the time from the time that they had left Egypt all to the time where they were about to cross the Jordan River. <clears throat> and he chooses the Jordan River in sight of the city of Jericho. They would cross the River Jordan and they would be right at Jericho's doorstep. Jericho being the uh, the biggest, baddest city in the area. They were the ones that everybody would look to for protection. It was the city of Jericho. Was, uh, that was their, their, their greatest accomplishment, you could say. It was Jericho and their mighty walls. They would, the walls were so strong in Jericho that they, would, that they would perform chariot races on the walls of Jericho. It was estimated. Those were big walls. But... I've seen mankind build a dam and stop a river. I've just never seen it stand up on its own. And the Bible says that when those priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant, when they came forth, and the Bible says when they dipped their feet into the water, when it touched the brim of the water, the water stood up in a heap. 
doesn't say that it stopped flowing. It just says it stood up. So the water's, so imagine this heap of water and it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger as hundreds of thousands of people. The last census that we got in the book of Numbers, uh, men armed and ready to battle was 603,000 men of war. That doesn't include the women. That doesn't include the children, their cattle, their stuff. That was a big group. And mind you, this was back in Numbers uh, when Moses was ready to take the land. Uh, they have grown substantially since then. Not to mention, in the last census in the book of Numbers, there was 20, if I'm not mistaken, 22,000 Levites to minister uh, in the tabernacle. It's a lot of people. It takes a lot of time to move across that river. And that's a lot of water. Imagine that just piling up, piling up, piling up. And it says that the water continued to run and it went dry from where they were at all the way down to the Salt Sea. It's a lot of water. There were, I guarantee there was people up on the wall of Jericho going, that's different. <laughs> I've never seen that happen before. <laughs> what is happening over there? And then they just see thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Israelites walking across where the Jordan River should be. The Jor crossing the Jordan River, many people liken that to a picture of uh, going from uh, this, this, this uh, life into heaven. And many people make that analogy. Uh, there's the song, uh, On Jordan's Stormy Bakes, I Stand and Cast a Wishful Eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. I'm bound for the promised land. And many people will draw the analogy of leaving this life and going to heaven. And I, I think, uh, I can see the application, but I think it's much more a picture of salvation. Crossing from where we were, crossing from what we've done, and trusting in Christ and, and being saved and going into a new life, going into a new person, uh, that we're crucified with Christ. That old man is dead and we are starting something new. And the reason I, the re, one of the biggest reasons I feel that is when, when we get to heaven, I'm not going to be fighting too many battles. We'll prepare for some. We'll stand there and then we'll watch God work mightily. Don't get me wrong. We'll see some, we'll see some amazing stuff. Um, but I'm not going to be fighting any battles when I get to heaven. I'm not. But what's the first thing they're going to have to do when they cross the River Jordan? They're going to have to go fight the Battle of Jericho. When you get saved, your life doesn't become all sunshine, roses, candy, and lollipops. No. There's battles. There's hardships. There's trials. Sometimes God brings them into our lives to teach us something. And again, just like I said earlier, sometimes he's trying to teach someone else something from your life. I like the way preacher says it. When we're going through hardships and we're going through trials, it's not why is God doing this to me, but you know, what can I learn from this? What is God trying to teach me? God's not doing it to me. He's doing it for me. And, you know, even when we go through rough patches, uh, God's doing something. And so we have to look at the title of this lesson is The Battles to Come.
And there's battles to come. There's every day we're going to face a new challenge. Every time uh, we turn the corner, there's going to be something new. And the Bible says that the, that the world uh, and in opposition to the church is not going to just get better. That evil men shall wax worse and worse. That uh, it's going to get darker. It's not going to become a nicer place as we get closer to his return. It's not. But we're supposed to do our best and to preach and to be an example, a light and a witness, salt. So the first thing we see and something that we can draw from them, when we cross and we prepare for battle and we prepare to do what God's called us to do, we have to make an exercise of faith. And that's exactly what the priests did. I'm sorry, but I've seen moving rivers. And I've never once been like, I don't want to go walk into that. You ever been to a river and you see it really moving and things, and you toss a rock in and it doesn't just like sink, it goes and goes down that way? I've never, I've never looked at that river and said, I just want to jump in. That sounds like a really good time. If I'm going to go swimming in the river, I find the nice still part where there's a bend and the water comes off and makes a little bit of a pool. It might swirl a little bit, but the water's, for the most part, still. I don't look at the moving part of the river and say, that's the place I want to go swimming. I'm not a very good swimmer in the first place. <laughs> swimming is not my deal. I'm not, a, I, like, kids are like, let's put up a pool, let's go swimming. I'm like, yeah, no. I'm not about that. Um, but... Imagine being one of those priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant and you're walking towards that river and Joshua says you're going to walk down. If we were to read the, the beginning of chapter 3, he says you're just going to march right in. So don't stop for nothing. This is basically what he said. You're going you're gonna to march down to the midst of the river, the midst of it. That's the deep part. <laughs> you're going to march down to the midst of the river and you're just going to stand there. But he told him as soon as you touch that water, it's going to stand up and in heat. And so they walk, and I can imagine the, those priests bearing the ark, and they're going, okay, whoo, whoo, bloop. And, and just the, could you imagine the pause as all of a sudden, whoo. My heart be just, I'd be terrified. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'd, <laughs> I'd want to be the priest on the back of the line, like, I'm not looking. That would be me. I'd be scared. That's just me. I don't like water. Um, but I could imagine once that's done, I'd be like, oh, man, this is awesome. And I could immediately tell you, my brain be going back to the time my grandfather told me about the, the Red Sea. I'd be like, we're going to cross this river. Those priests had to have exceptional faith to do what the man of God had told them to do. You're just going to march straight into that river. What if God had made it so that they had to get two or three steps in? If they had gotten bloosh, 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 and the water's this high, it's like, uh, nope, I, I'm going back. Would you, would you press on? Would they keep going? No, he didn't even give them the opportunity to get scared. He said, as soon as your feet touch that water, it's going to stand up. Those priests had to exercise exceptional faith. Mind you, every single person that crossed that river had to exercise some faith. Yeah, the priests are standing out there, and I'm walking across on dry land, but I'm looking over, and I'm seeing this giant heap of water, and nothing is holding it there. There's no dam. 
There's no structure to hold the water back. It's just piling up. Walking across, oh, I hope God holds that up because I don't want to be here when it comes down. And there was a lot of people who crossed. That's exactly right. And then Joshua, the faith of Joshua. Could you imagine telling these priests, you're going you're gonna to go walk down in the middle of that river tomorrow. You're, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna walk into that river and you're going to see the water stand up and in a heap. And they're probably sitting there, did somebody forget to give him his medication last night? I mean, like, this is crazy talk, Joshua. No. He had the faith that when God said, this is what's going to happen, he had the faith that when he relayed that message, that the people were going to do it. And a good leader will take the message that God's laid on his heart and will distribute that and he will proclaim it and he will lay it and he will cast it to us. Pastor Reno does this every single week. He studies and, and he strives and he works so hard so that he can prepare what God wants him to teach us. And that takes a lot of faith. When, when preacher's given something that he's like, I, and I, I, I've seen it happen before, I don't want to talk about that. Or that kind of convicts me. I don't, I don't want to do that. But having the faith to trust God. Every single day we need to be just like those, those Israelites as they were going into the Jordan River and exercise faith. We just came out of the prayer revival, uh, learning to grow closer to God and talk with God. And every single day having uh, Brother Beckham say, have you talked with the Father today? And being in the meeting the first couple times, you're, you're not prepared for it. You're like, oh, God. Oh. Maybe, maybe I talked to God. Like, I at lunch went, amen. We've been going through trials. We've been going through tribulations as a church. We've been uh, going through things. And this isn't the first time. Our church has gone through things before. We've dealt with hardships before. And every time God has brought us through and every time God has protected us and every time God has seen us uh, accomplish mighty things despite what the world would say, oh, that's going to end them. Uh, my, my brain comes to, to, to mind when Pastor Jane was here and there was that big pit that they found out back uh, on the property. There was a big hole that a, a, a homeless person was living in and uh, there was a couple that they had found in the area and, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, a kid... Uh, some kids climbed into one, and, and they got severely injured. And uh, one was found on our property. And the news media was, was informed about this, and they were coming to inspect this church property that was housing such a danger to the community. And uh, our pastor caught, caught wind of the whole story before, before everything, before the news cameras could come here, and he had uh, some excavation equipment to go and clear that all out before they, they could get there because... He wanted to keep our church name uh, up front. He wanted to keep our, uh, our image good. He wanted to make sure that we were not presenting a danger to the community. And he stayed in front of that. And what could have been a bad light for our church ended up being something good. And I'm just saying that we can trust God through every trial, every temptation, every uh, problem that comes our way. And we need to uh, come together as a church to get through these things. Just like the nation of Israel came together under Joshua 
to move forward and to uh, start taking that promised land. The next thing we see is an emblem to the future. An emblem to the future. In Joshua chapter 4, in verse uh, 1, And it came to pass, uh, when all the people uh, were come over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, one of every tribe of man, and command ye them, saying, Take ye hence out of the midst of Jordan. <clears throat> the print in my Bible is a little smaller than I like. So, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. And Joshua called twelve men whom he had prepared. Twelve men whom he had prepared. Out of the children of Israel, out of every tribe, a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to all the number of the tribes of Israel, that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in the time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it passed over Jordan, and the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And if we were to, if we were to skip ahead into uh, later on in the chapter, in verse 19, uh, going down through 24, we see that when they, those 12 men would carry those, and by the way, they didn't get little stones. If you stack 12 little rocks, it doesn't make a big, like I'm not going to look at a little pile of rocks and go, what's that mean? There are big stones. Big stones. Because this was supposed to be a picture to the generations to come. Can you imagine the biggest stone of and I, I don't think Joshua went and picked, you know, the smallest guy he could find. Like, hey, you, tiny Tim, <laughs> you're going to carry that big rock. No, he probably picked some big guys that could carry some big stones. And they, they would carry these stones, and they would carry them to where they would lodge that night. They didn't just carry them just out of the river and go, ooh. No, there was a hard, laborious journey ahead of them. They would carry those stones all the way to Gilgal where they would camp that night which wasn't, again, not too far away, but still inside of Jericho. Everyone had a job when it came to crossing that river. I'm sure the mothers were, were busy watching their kids and making sure that they got across safely. And I'm sure that there was uh, young men who were, who were given the charge of getting the cattle across. And there was uh, men of war who were, who were uh, in charge of making sure all the equipment got across. But there were 12 specific men who were given the task of grabbing these stones at Joshua's command. At Joshua's command. God told Joshua, you're going to pick 12 men. And I'm sure Joshua put a lot of thought into these 12 men. These men would be an example to the rest of Israel. These men would be a leader to the, these people. And they would carry these stones. Every person, every person should have a place in this church. Every person that calls himself a member of Berean Baptist Church should have a place of service, should have something that they're doing, uh, whether it be um, the smallest thing, and I say the smallest thing, being in the nursery and, and calming a crying baby so that a mother can stay in here and listen to the preaching. Invaluable. Uh, people that come in and, and 
when a light bulb goes out, does anybody ever see the people that change them? Somebody does. And there's some, some, of those, some of those lights are stubborn. They just keep going out. But people are working on those. Uh, there's things that get done. And do you have a place? Do you have a spot? Do you have... A, if you were to disappear from Berean Baptist Church, would people notice you're gone? You know, would the only sign that you were here be an indentation left on your favorite chair? And they'd walk by and say, that's where so-and-so sat. I wouldn't want that for me or my family. But I serve not because I want to be remembered. I serve not because I feel like I need to do something more. I, 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 I go back and I... I help out in the children's classes and I help out in the teen classes and I do these things and, I, and I'm willing to, to step up and preach when, when preacher asks me to because I feel like that's where God wants me to be. Trust me, if, if, if there was a, a person more qualified to preach than me, and I'm sure there's some, I would gladly step back and say, let that person do it. I'm not, there's nothing special about me. Please don't think I want to puff myself up. I am... I'm not, that, I'm not that great. But the point is, is God says, uh, God at points in time has said, God, I want you to be involved in this. I, I, want you to, I want you to help out here. I want you to dedicate some time to this. And, and I'm not going to say I'm perfect. There's time and time again where I say, I could do this. I feel like God wants me to do this. And I go, I ain't got time. I mean, when am I going to you know, sit down and, and relax every now and then? I'm not perfect. I can tell you, I could, I could count off five different things, and I'm not going to, but I feel like there are, there are specific five different things that I feel like God wants me to doing more, and I've been putting it off. And, 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 I, and I look at it every time, and I say, I, I, wish, I wish I had the time. I wish I could do this. I wish I, could do, I wish I could do more. And every time I jump into his word and say, hey, Shane, you gotta get, got to get busy on that. God, I'm already serving here. No, no. I want you to do that too. Every person had a job crossing that river. Every person had, there was nobody, there was no little kid that was not attached to mom, I bet. There was no kid that was, I'm sure there was one mom that kid got away and she's chasing him down the riverbed and trying to bring him back. I'm sure that happened somewhere. Some sheep meandered away, but there was a shepherd to bring him back. There, everybody had a chore. Everybody had a task. And they were instructed in what they should be doing. And preacher gets up here all the time. Berean, we got to love people. Berean, we got to preach the gospel. Berean, we got we to gotta stand up for truth. We got to stand up for right. We got to be, uh, as the Bible says, as a church, uh, the pillar and ground of truth. We've got a calling in that. So these men, chosen men of God, and by the way, if preacher ever comes up to you or if, if somebody in the church uh, sometimes in the staff, they come up to you and say, hey, do you, th- do you think you can help out with that? There, there's two things. Either you're convenient and you're capable, <laughs> and they're just looking for you to help. Um, sometimes you need to take that from God. God's looking for you to just stretch yourself a little bit. But if a preacher ever comes to you and he's like, hey, uh, I, I was, I've been thinking about you, would you consider doing this? He ain't just one day like, sit up and say, oh, so-and-so needs to be more involved. No, 
God put that on his heart. God's working on him, and he's passing that to us. We're to follow the faith of the godly man that he's put before us. Okay? So everybody should have a job. Everybody should have a task. Everybody should have a purpose. You should be uh, plugged in. Thinking about what I would preach tonight, and, I, and I'm coming right down, I'm coming to the tail end, but uh, I was going through some of, the, some of the themes for the year. My favorite theme that we've, that we've had so far is the fitly joined together theme. Fitly joined together. Uh, was that the clear, the clear mugs? It's, I think it's the clear mugs, is it? Yeah, so the coffee cups, it was a clear mug, and if you microwaved them, they broke. I still have one. It's like, this is my favorite cup. I don't use it. It's like the fitly joined together. And the idea was that we are a body fitly joined together, that God has brought us together for a purpose, uh, just like how... Uh, uh, Esther was, was put in place for such a time as this. You are a member in standing at Berean Baptist Church for this time, for such a time as this, to preach the gospel in Puyallup, Washington in the year 2022. That's why I'm here. Do I do a good job at it? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> be honest. There are things I could do better. But we should all be involved. And so they had built those, they, they had pulled those stones out and they would set them down in Gilgal so that the future generations could say, hey, what, are the, what does a stack of rocks mean? Oh, well, that was when God brought us over from the other side of Jordan. He made all the water stand up on a heap. We walked across and then we went and beat up Jericho. What? Yeah, exactly. What? <laughs> okay. There should, we should be setting the example to the future of our church right now. The last thing we see is the example of leadership. Joshua never had an easy day in his life, I think. I, I really don't think he did. Every time you see him, he's doing something. And we're going to look at chapter 4 and verse 9. Look at verse 9. So in verse 8, uh, they, the children of Israel did as, so as Joshua commanded and took up the 12 stones out of the midst of Jordan as the Lord spake unto Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Okay? But verse 9, And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there Unto this day. Joshua, while everybody's crossing the river, Joshua's there standing in the midst of the river and he's stacking up stones. Twelve stones. Not little stones. He himself would move twelve gigantic stones by himself and make a monument that when that river comes back down, they're going to stay there. That's an impressive structure. The Jordan River is not a calm river, especially where they picked the cross. And he would construct that monument so that they, if you were walking by the Jordan River, like, what is that giant pile of rocks out in the middle of the water? Same thing. Oh, Joshua did that when we were standing in the middle of the river on dry ground. You see, when we're working and we're serving and we feel tired as a dog and we say, God, I'm, I'm so busy. God, I can't keep going anymore. God, you got to give me some rest. 
we can stop and remember that the man of God, the leader that we have in place, oftentimes is doing a lot more work than we are. And they're going through a lot more trials than we are. And they're dealing with difficulties that we oftentimes don't see. And by the way, we've gotten a small glimpse into things that preacher deals with on a weekly basis this past week. This is a little bit more uh, harsh than we've seen in the past. But he deals with these things time and time and time again. And most of the time, he doesn't say a thing. Because he doesn't want to be a discouragement. It's just... God, God promises us in the Bible that we will suffer persecution. It's in there. Like you read through, it's in Peter. All that shall live godly shall suffer persecution. Okay? And then Peter talks about how that persecution is going to help us grow. But the work of a leader, it's a hard work. And he strives and he serves and he's constantly studying and he's praying for each and every single one of us and he's praying for our missionaries and he's trying to organize things and he's just working for us time and time and day in and day out. And I, and I love the fact that uh, through all the situations going on right now that many people have said, we need to stop, we need to pray for our pastor, we, we need to get here early, we need to do this, we need to pray. And I'm like, amen, that's awesome, I'm so glad that we're doing that. But at the same time, this is, this is not too far off than what he deals with every single week. But I don't see us gathering together, and I'm going to be honest, I'm oftentimes not there, saying we need to give preacher extra prayer today. But we need to make sure that he's doing okay. The, the leader, a good leader will exercise passion. I don't think Joshua's in the middle of that river going, oh, I'm sick and tired of moving giant stones. Uh, by the way, there's a strong argument that, uh, uh, that Joshua only had one leg. Did you know that? If you look to the Battle of Jericho, okay, uh, when the angel of the Lord appears to him, he says, loose thy shoe from off thy foot. So either he was walking around the desert with one shoe on. So, fun fact for you. <laughs> but uh, it could be that Joshua, because Joshua was a man of war up before he became the leader. He could have lost a leg in battle. Imagine Joshua out there with a crutch, <laughs> lifting heavy stones, pushing them with a stick, move some rocks. He was passionate about what God had given him to do. He was passionate when it came to helping Moses, and then he was passionate about leading the children of Israel, and he gave it his whole heart. Anything that God led him to do, he did with his best effort. And the, the one time I would dare say he didn't, he learned and changed. They would go from, from Jericho to Ai, and he would say, hey, what do, we need to, what do we need to be Ai? Send up some people, we'll spy it out. And they lost horribly. And from that moment, he's like, no, I ain't taking it easy. God's given me a, a high command. And he mourned the 36 people that were slain in the Battle of Ai. Or was it 26? I can't recall off the top of my head. Um, but he was passionate about what he did. And the power of God rested upon him in a mighty way. If we look at verse 14, God did this whole thing at the Jordan River for a multiplicity of reasons. But if we look at verse 14, we will see the biggest reason of all. On that day, the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. 
God gave Joshua a special purpose. And that was to lead the children of Israel into the land of Canaan to help divide those into the, into the, into the plots for the tribes to lead them through that time of transition. And that's hard. But God gave Joshua special power to do it. And he, he chose the Jordan River for them to go in at that point in time to make a statement that God had picked Joshua. Like I said, this is, this is the Jordan River crossing that is a picture much more of salvation than it is crossing into the next life, crossing into heaven. And if we're to uh, be a good Christian, and by the way, to be a Christian is to be a soldier. Uh, we're directed in Ephesians uh, that we are to put on the whole armor of God. Okay? But the things we need to have is we need to have faith in God, have faith in the man of God that he's uh, put in front of us, whose faith we are to follow, that Paul would write in the New Testament. Whose faith follow? We need to have faith that God, God's in control, that when we deal with struggles, we deal with hardships, we can lay those at the, at the feet of Christ, who's, by the way, sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, all the time. He's not a man that he can only intercess for one of us at a time. He's God. When we struggle, when we have difficulties, and when we see other people, by the way, when I mentioned fitly joined together is my favorite one, when one part of the body is aching, one part of the body is struggling, uh, as a church body, we should come together. We should always be bathing each other in prayer and that we should be seeking God's face uh, for each other's benefit, that we would that we would pray that God would do something mightily with not just with me, but with every single member of this church, that we would go forth and be salt, be light in this world. So we need to have faith, faith in God, faith in our pastor, faith that he's, he's doing and preaching what God lays on his heart. But by the way, we are Berean Baptist Church, and the church at Berean was known for what? Searching the scriptures daily, whether those things be, are so. It, it, I, I would be sorely tempted if I was Pastor Reno to like get up one day and be like, just say something off the wall and just see if anybody come and said anything to me about it. I would. I, I, I don't because I'm not the pastor. <laughs> but um, but I, I would be like, just one day, just like throw it out there and, and see like somebody come up like, what did you say during? Because that's not... I read my Bible this week, and I don't see that in there. It's like, you passed the test. <laughs> but that's not me. I'm not the pastor. I would be tempted to. But we should be Bereans. When, when the Word of God is preached, we should open up our Bibles, and we should search the Scriptures daily, whether those things are so. But we should trust our pastor. I'm not saying don't trust pastor, okay? <laughs> I'm just, I've got a weird sense of humor in that way. Uh, I would do weird things like that. But we need to trust our pastor, but we also need to set an example. We need to, to make that emblem for the future. We need to set an example for the future generations. We can't look at the younger kids and say, oh, they're the future. They're going to take care of us. No. As, the, as good Christian soldiers, we need to be pressing ahead, and that example is sometimes set in my tombstone. Some of the, some of the greatest messages missionaries of the past have ever preached were the notes that they found in their Bible after they passed on prayers that they had written about people going to their field 
where they didn't, they didn't get much done, those that would follow after them would see people saved because they left an emblem for the future. But lastly, we see the example of a leader, a leader that works hard, a leader that deserves to be prayed for, a leader who's always passionate about what he does. Berean Baptist has all three. I've seen this church do some great things in the past. I'm not saying we're not doing anything now, but there's always that room for improvement. Uh, we're setting a good example. We've been here a long time. Berean's been here a long time. Uh, we used to own the property where the theater is down the road. That's where the church used to be. Yeah, and then we came here so that we could have, uh, so that we could have a Christian school. And those things, some of those things have gone away, and some of them, but we have been here preaching to this community for a long time. But we've had a great leader for the past couple of years, and I hope and pray for him that he would be here for a great while to come. So the question is, where do you see yourself and Berean Baptist Church in the battles ahead, because they're coming all the time. Are you going to buckle down and be a good soldier, or is it time to, mm, I think I'm done. Choice is yours, but God wants us to be good soldiers and to press forward. Just like Paul would say, I press toward the mark. So my challenge to you, where are you going to be? Are you going to be the one setting a good example at Berean Baptist Church and praying for our pastor and moving moving the cause of Christ forward or not? Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you so much for all the good things you've given to us, Lord. I thank you so much for this church. And Lord, I know so many things that we can, we can do better. And Lord, there's places where we're, uh, where we're holding the torch and we're moving forward. And Lord, I pray that you just, uh, Lord, help us as we, as we strive to grow, grow closer to you, Lord. 